Thanks for listening to Musings of an ADD Mind. Let's get some warnings out of the way. This episode may contain strong language, and the views and opinions expressed by the guest and host in no way, shape, or form represent the Oklahoma Historical Society or the state of Oklahoma. Welcome to the Musings of an ADD Mind podcast. This is your host, Jack, and I have the ADD Mind. And back after a major long delay of not being on the podcast, we have my son, Duncan. Yay! Yeah! Hello, everyone. Hello, son. It is me, Duncan. Yes. How are you doing? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. I knew the answer for that, actually, but that was for the listeners. Yeah. Yeah. So here we are. Uh, last year, Duncan was my first guest when we discussed music at the end of the month. And this year, we're talking movies and TV shows. So I felt that Duncan had to be the first guest of season two talking about that for the last episode of the month. So that's what we're doing. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Um, So Duncan is here to talk about Thomas the Tank Engine. Yes. What else is there to talk about? Which is his favorite show ever. He still watches it on every chance he gets and Um, i actually have it playing in the background right now yeah and then he's also going to discuss his favorite movie of all time which is well you you got me in a tough spot because you asked me favorite movie of all time that is (laughs) an insanely difficult thing to pick out um, so I sort of went with uh, just uh, like in a, the aesthetic that I really like of certain things and something that, you know, you could I can watch it several times and I'm happy watching it each time. Right. Um, and it engages me fully. Uh, so I'm talking about the uh, 1997 uh, film, um, which is Event Horizon. Um, yeah. If you know directors, it's uh, Paul W.S. Anderson. I don't know directors. That's that's the guy. Yeah. Um, he did I believe he's job. responsible for the uh, Resident Evil films. Oh, really? Yeah, I that, I believe so. Don't don't quote me on that, folks. That that's pretty cool. Let Let's see here. All right, uh, he has done. Let's go on filmography. Uh, so he did the Mortal Kombat in 1995. That really okay. bad one. Yeah, right. he he did uh he did the Resident Evils. Uh he did oh he did the new Monster Hunter that came out. Um which was not great, but whatever. Um he did the Alien versus Predator that came out in 2004. Okay. Uh so that that's pretty cool. That was a great one. Yeah. Um he did the Death Race 2, 3 and 4. Uh, direct-to-video ones um so it seems like he's not a lot of the stuff he's made isn't exactly great but good enough although i would say that event horizon is excellent right um and and not just good enough 
some interesting things about Event Horizon. This is a slight hearsay, um, but not quite. Um, so he, I believe in an interview or two, uh, somebody asked him if sort of what was his inspiration for it or the writer or whatever. Um, and so it was actually, yeah, the writer, somebody okay. asked the writer and the inspiration for it. Um, it's loosely based off of the franchise Warhammer 40,000, um, which is uh, grimdark. It's set in the far flung future, you know, the right. 42nd millennium. Um, it, it's super grimdark. It's very edgy. It's over the top in every aspect. Okay. Um, and so it's a lot of the fans of, of uh, 40K, which is what it's called they it's sort of like the unofficial it's like an unofficial movie of humanity discovering uh what's in 40k known as like a warp drive they Mm -hmm. refer to it in event horizon as the gravity drive uh which makes sense whatever and i guess we can do like a brief synopsis of the movie that'd probably be a good thing to do yeah Um, um the strange thing is duncan You probably don't even remember this. Um, So when that movie came out, I had just gotten out of Oklahoma or of the army. We just moved back to Oklahoma is what I meant to say. And uh, my papa was working at a movie theater. Uh, He was basically retired and he ran the projection or the projectors at a movie theater. And that meant unless it was opening night, I got to go see whatever movie I wanted to go see. Nice. And this was pre-Emily, and I was off of work one day, and Event Horizon was at the theater. Misty was at school, and you didn't go to school yet, and it was just you and I hanging out. And, I mean, you were still a baby. You were, I guess, one-ish. Yeah. I'm not somewhere, because it, it came out in 97, you said? Yeah, so you, yeah. Were, you were one plus yep. some months, whatever. And... <laughs> I was like, oh, he's going to be, I just looked and figured out, okay, his nap time is at this. The movie starts at this time. I have to be home by this time to get Emily from, or Misty from school. So uh, you and I went and watched Event Horizon. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Now now you slept through it and I watched (laughs) the movie, but you actually saw that film in theaters. Look at that, everyone. (laughs) When you were awake. (laughs) Oh, man, that's funny. I didn't know that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. See, there you go. You picked a good movie to pick. You you know, that's probably one of the first films I ever watched. Close. Actually, your mom and I always took you guys to movies when you were young. We would just sort of schedule it around nap times so that you would be used to going to movies. But by the time you were three or four... You guys would go to a movie and you would just sit there quietly and watch the whole movie because you'd been going to movies <laughs> since day one. So nice. Okay. So yeah, and of course, uh, ninety nine was the summer of the Phantom Menace. Yes, because my dad still worked at a movie theater, just a different one, and every day when you were picked up from daycare, you would say, "Dad, are we going to go watch Star Wars?" <laughs> and and 
you know, there were a lot of days we couldn't, but there were a lot of days that we would. So you and I actually watched uh, The Phantom Menace in theaters probably 20, 25 times. <laughs> because it was it was free and you loved going to see it. And if nothing else was going on and if your mom was okay with it, we would, you and I just go and watch it. Nice. Nice. So, Yeah. Yeah, there's that. But anyway, that's how you end up, you know, being able to say Darth Sidious and not dump truck. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. That that is very, very true. And maybe at a different date, we'll explain to the listeners what that actually means. No, you know what? Let's just do it now. Yeah, why not? When Duncan was a young lad, there were certain sounds that he had troubles with. And one of those would be the tr sound. Uh, for example, his Aunt Tracy was his Aunt Facey. That also meant that Duncan was not capable of saying the word truck. <laughs> he would pronounce it as fuck. And when he also was not properly able to pronounce the word dump, and that was pronounced as dumb. So anytime Duncan saw a dump truck, he would always point that out to us by yelling, dump fuck, dump fuck, dump fuck. (laughs) Now, of course, that was always funny, except for that one day when we were in Toys R Us and there was a toy dump truck and Duncan starts going, dump fuck, dump fuck, dump fuck. And the lady standing next to me jaw drops as she thinks Duncan is calling her a dump fuck, and I am sitting there going, (laughs) yes, son, that is a dump truck. (laughs) Look, got to start talking trash at a young age, all right? (laughs) Yeah, so that was fun. But strangely enough, at that same time, he legitimately could say Darth Sidious without any troubles whatsoever, and Senator Palpatine and... Probably all of them. He was, he was raised, clearly, he had some excellent parenting going on. <laughs> um, so I think that's so funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, there's some uh, fun things about uh, Duncan and I that now our listening friends will can chuckle about. So yeah. I guess we should get back on the topic and talk about the space horror movie, Event Horizon. Yes. Um. So as I mentioned, you know, uh, Warhammer 40,000 sort of was an unofficial inspiration for it. Uh, So a lot of my enjoyment of the movie, um, I saw it before I started getting into like the lore of Warhammer and everything of a 40K, Uh, clearly. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, in a actual recollection. um, (laughs) Yeah. So I, I had watched it uh, and then I started getting into 40K and I loved it even more. Uh, just sort of connecting all of the like lore from 40K into it. But even without, uh, you know, having that love of 40K and everything, uh, it, is, it is an a really excellent movie. So I think the big, yeah, the starring, so it had uh, Lawrence Fishburne in it. Uh, Sam Neill, Kathleen right. Quillane, Joey Richardson. I really only Lawrence Fishburne is who I 
Well, no, Sam no. Neill is Dr. Grant from the Jurassic Park movies. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Jolie Fisher is Princess Leia's real-life sister, half-sister. Okay. Also, Princess Leia is also referred to as Carrie Fisher, which should make that connection a little more obvious since they have the same yeah. last name. And Kathleen... Uh, what is it? Quiglin, whatever? Quilane, something like that. Yeah, Quilane. she's in... Um, she is actually in the Doors movie, the autobiography that Oliver Stone oh, did okay. of Jim Morrison. Uh, I can't think of the character that she plays in that movie other than she was the journalist that Jim Morrison had an affair with. And then when, uh, anyway, that's the character she played. Okay. I don't know any of the other characters that are actors that are in it. I don't remember off the top um, of my head. That, those are the ones that... Uh were starring it it did have a very small cast which is one thing i really enjoy um about uh in movies whenever the cast you know is like not even 10 people so it it is set in 2047 uh it follows a crew of astronauts uh at this time humanity is uh they've colonized the moon not terraform or anything but uh, it's mentioned that, you know, the moon has been colonized, uh, there's more mining, and uh, sort of the space aspect of humanity is being uh, uh, expanded upon. Um, so they set out to answer, uh, like, a distress beacon, right. which later, later in the film, it is uh, learned that it, there, spoilers, obviously, it is learned that it is uh, the Event Horizon, which is a science ship that is in the orbit around Neptune. Uh, so they are sent to sort of try and search for signs of life, if they can find people, bring them back, and recover data. Um, so at, at this point in humanity, we're still using uh, traditional means of travel, uh, regular engines and everything for space travel. Uh, like um, regular thrusters. And it is learned that, uh, uh, what was it? Sam Neill, his character, uh, he made the ship and he created the central drive for the ship, the propulsion unit, which is that gravity drive. Um, the gravity drive allows for FTL, right? Faster than yes. light propulsion. Uh, yeah, and it uses the uh, the way the theory that he built it off of was the, uh, you know, crumpling of space and then just sort of skipping, you know, where right. you're traveling a reduced distance, but it's learned throughout the film that that is not the case. Uh, it is actually going into an alternate dimension, uh, and traveling through that. Okay. Um, right. So right. in the film it, and I, I love this. Uh, so all of the horror aspects of it, uh -huh. Um, it, it's told through the perspective of people that have seen the horrors, uh, the drive through the uh, other dimension is what you're talking about, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, let me interrupt real quick. Yeah. Go ahead. Is the, I haven't seen event horizon in many, many, many years. Yeah. Do the, do the special effects hold up? Honestly, they're not bad at all. Um, now, it, I think it was probably one of the first that was using like CGI. Right. So it's clearly a product of the time. 
Right. The CGI is not very detailed, but for things that do need to be detailed, they use practical effects. Okay. Uh, so most of it is still actual, you know, stage work, practical effects. It's mainly uh, the outside or like, you know, at one point, like a window breaks and a character goes flying. Um, so that point in the movie, that is CGI. Okay. Um, right. yeah, and yeah. that the CGI is a bit rough just because, you know, it was 97. But right. all the practical effects are excellent. Okay. All right. Anyway, back to your story. I just wanted people to know if they were listening. You know, sometimes people think to themselves, oh, this, it's a space movie. It was from this time. The CGI is going to suck uh, that it holds up. Or, the, you know, the special effects are going to suck. Yeah. So that sometimes um, people are weird and make decisions based off something like that. So I wanted them to know, yeah. that, oh, no, hey, it, it holds up. The, the CGI is rough. It's not very detailed, but they use it where they should and not for everything. They didn't lean really heavy in it. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. Well, now. Um, Back to so, yeah. Uh, one, one of the things, because it is, it is sort of like a sci-fi horror. Um, so for you never see what's on the other side. That, that right. is never a thing that happens. And the more you watch uh, and it's, it goes further into it and it goes into um sam neill's character sort of goes crazy and he talks about how the ship brought back it was just a ship before it left but whenever it came back it was no longer just a ship it it had like uh the energies or like a spirit or so to say from that realm and it's really cool i love the storytelling they they leave what needs to be vague vague um, they're sparing where they should be, which I love. I, I think that's very important in horror movies to not just explain away everything. It, there, should right. be, there should be mystery. Nothing should really be fully explained. Right. Uh, after all, the scariest thing is the unknown, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, just overall, uh, I think it, it's an excellent film. The acting's good. Uh, the practical effects are excellent uh, when they're used, um, right. which is for most of it. But, uh, you know, they're, they're sparing for the most part anyways, as horror movies should be. And yeah, just just the overall aesthetic of it's really solid. It's it's good. That's uh, cool. Yeah. And also you should just watch Event Horizon. Uh, there's absolutely no reason not to. Um, I, I concur. Yeah. Uh, one of the one of the sad things is since uh you know we live in the time where streaming services are now like cable where you have to pay for each package right um, it the only way to watch it is through showtime um if you choose to go through that route you could probably pick up a dvd of it for pretty cheap um isn't showtime and paramount the same parent company do you think it Uh, might be on paramount not yeah paramount yeah the one that used to be cbs because cbs and showtime i think were the same owned by the same company uh let me do the where to watch real quick and we'll uh figure it out all right Uh, just watch so it looks like oh i forgot this site sucks uh all right based on google here 
Um, yeah, it's on Paramount Plus. Okay. All yeah, right. You, you can watch it through Paramount. Cool. I got it right. Yeah, you did. My memory didn't fail me for once. Uh, but yeah, you, you should watch the film. Uh, it's an excellent film. And, you know, if you want to get real deep into the weeds on why I really love the film, it being like unofficial, you know, 40K, you can get into that or not. That, that's quite the rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> right. It, it's quite the rabbit hole. But yeah, it's, 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 they do it very, very well. Uh, the sci-fi horror. Um, yeah. No, I agree with you. Um, I, I've always enjoyed Event, Event Horizon. And I was always slightly disappointed that it didn't do better in theaters. Because strangely enough, I always felt that there was enough in that movie for there to be a second movie. Yeah. Um, I completely agree. Uh, so I, I looked a bit more on like the Wikipedia page on it, uh, and it turns out, you know, like any good movie, uh, it doesn't do well in theaters, and then as soon as it hits DVDs, it gets a cult following, right? Uh, and that's how uh, Event Horizon was. It, it definitely didn't do well, hit DVD, did very well, uh, mm-hmm. and now it's um, it's a staple in the 40k. Uh, fandom because it is considered unofficial uh canon that's cool i never knew that about it but that's, yeah that's really cool uh it, it's really cool uh a great thing about 40k is it's incredibly vague so it works in the timeline because of how vague the timeline is <laughs> yeah when vague timelines collide <laughs> yeah um yeah, excellent movie. And of course, you, you know, the the Sam Neill and Lawrence Fishburne just do an excellent job. Um, right. Well, I mean, they're both excellent actors. So. Exactly. Uh, you can't go wrong. If anything, you know, you don't have to be concerned about the five or six actors in it being bad because none of them are. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. All right, folks, that's it. It's the official recommendation of the Musings of an ADD Mind podcast. Go and watch the movie Event Horizon. Yeah. Here. 10 out of 10 would watch again. Exactly. Exactly. So I appreciate you sharing that, Duncan, because I honestly, I always enjoyed the movie. I just haven't thought about it in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. You, sh- you should give it a watch. No, I want to go watch it again. And I'm going to. Yeah. In fact, I I'm think going. I'm going to pick up a disc copy of it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so with that, it's my turn, unless you have something else to add. Um, no, otherwise we're going to be sitting here for, you know, six to eight hours with me just binging on and spewing 40K. Okay, well, yeah, that that's a whole other series of podcasts. So we will <laughs> move on to... <laughs> mine and uh i also could have talked movies or whatever but i have decided to start off with what is one of my favorite tv shows of all time and that is the re-imaged battlestar galactica that came out in roughly 2003 ish 2004 it started out as a mini series on sci-fi i do not know if at the time it was a situation where they would decided, let's see how it 
the miniseries does, and maybe we'll do a couple miniseries to tell the story. If it does sort of okay, but if it does super duper okay, we'll make it into a TV show. I'm not entirely sure how that thought process went, but it did go on to become a TV show. And it is an excellent TV show with excellent writing. And it is essentially modern issues at the time that just happened to be told through the filter of taking place in space. Yes. Um, Um, I should rewatch it. Oh yeah, you definitely should. So, you know, at this point, the re-imaged Battlestar Galactica is damn near 20 years old. And of course the original one is 40. Um, The original one is, Got a lot of camp to it, but it's a product of the late 70s. So that would explain why. The reimaged actually lasted longer than the original did. Um, I believe the original only had two seasons, and then there was the third season with the different cast of characters, except for Lauren Green, that was called Battlestar 1980 or Battlestar Galactic in 1980. The original Battlestar Galactica was. Uh, brought into fruition by Larson. I can't think of his first name, but he's responsible for a lot of TV shows in the late 70s and early 80s, a lot of them. But uh, The Reimaged was the head writer, showrunner, pro- executive producer was Ronald D. Moore, who had got his start in Star Trek and is currently the head writer executive producer showrunner for outlander so he definitely is got you know a pretty good resume (laughs) yeah Uh, but at the time battlestar galactica was the first thing that he was sort of doing as his own you know head of everything in charge of everything the first the miniseries in the first season are amazing just in terms of the writing quality Part of the reason why it hit home so well was they took sort of what had happened with 9-11 in a post-9-11 world. And obviously some of the differences were that the Cylons were major, major baddies. And, you know, I feel like if this isn't given, you know, go watch it. I'm not going to give a lot away, but this is still spoilery. So basically, uh, Battlestar Galactica starts out. There is uh, the series of 12 worlds. Each world is named, is based on the Zodiac sign. Um, And so there are these 12 inhabited worlds. And one day the Cylons show up who like 70 years ago we had been at war with because humans created them. And they went to war when the Cylons rebelled and then the Cylons disappeared and then they came back and they nuked everything and they killed something like 50 billion people (laughs) across the 12 planets. And uh, they completely destroyed the entire military fleet of the 12 colonies. That's what they were referred to as because there was a planet called Cobol that they came from, and then they went and colonized these 12 planets. And there was a 13th planet that had been colonized that was called Earth. 
and this is also taken from the Bible in that there were the 12 tribes of Israel. But if you know anything about the Bible, there were actually 13 tribes of Israel because Joseph's tribe was actually split up and named amongst his two sons. So there were technically 13 tribes of Israel, and that's how that played out. And the Cylons not only nuked all of the planets and killed most of the population, they destroyed the entirety of the military except for one ship. And that would be the Galactica. Their spacecraft, their battle cruisers were called battle stars. And the Galactica was the one that was left. And the reason it survived is because it was the only ship left in the fleet that was pre-basic internet, I guess, in a way. Yeah. It wasn't con- all the other ships were connected so they could just put in a code and turn all the other ships off. Well, the Galactica didn't have that issue. And actually, when the show starts, the Galactica was in the process of being retired and converted into a space museum. And so there was the Galactica and I don't know, something like 70 other civilian ships that somehow survived. And then their goal is we have to go on the run because now the Cylons are trying to kill us. So population goes from, I don't know, 20 billion, 40 billion, whatever that number is, down to 56,000 people. (laughs) Yes. Um, That is a huge, huge loss of humanity. And so they're, they're outgunned, they're outnumbered, they're outmanned, they're out, they don't have food. How are they going to get away from these people that they're, or the Cylons that they're being chased from? And where are they going to go? And so basically, the miniseries ends with the commander of the Galactica, Commander Adama, um, which if people are unaware of this, Adama is actually Ethiopian for Adam. <laughs> um, which is another biblical reference. And it ends with him saying, I've done research and I know where earth is and we're going to go to earth and join the 13th colony. Of course, when the series starts, you find out, wow, this is really cool. And the first episode, when it becomes a TV series, I believe is called... I think it's called like 29 or 31, something like that. And the premise is, so all of the ships have FTL, faster than light drives. And the thing is with the colonies, they really only used them occasionally. And so getting them used all of this time was something that didn't really happen. So they would FTL to the new location. They would be there for roughly whatever it was, 29 minutes. And then the Cylons would pop in. Well, as soon as they got there, they were immediately trying to put in new coordinates for the next jump, but it was something like a four or five minute lag in between when the other people showed up and all of this stuff. Yeah. So the ships would have to go out and, or the fighters and try to fight off the Cylons. And so everybody could get, you know, all of the civilian ships because the, the Galactic is the only military craft. And it would basically run cover so all of the other ships could go to this next location. Well, the problem with that is civilian ships, different type of drive, some work faster than others. And so the Galactica's pilots would go out and fight off the Cylons, and then they'd have to immediately turn around, come in and land so that the Galactica could then jump to the the next uh, location that they were going to. And 
as this had been going on for at that point, I, I want to say at least a week or so, everybody's getting freaking exhausted because nobody yeah. can sleep. And um, the the end of the story puts the the president of the remaining 12 colonies, because there was a president, and this is actually sort of something that is kind of based in real life. The person that ended up being the president was the secretary of education, who was like 42nd in line of secession. So, so that tells you just how bad things have gone. And she basically kind of gets put into the position that uh, George W. Bush was put on on 9-11. And that was when they knew that there was the last plane that was coming to D.C. to fly into a building. They don't know if it was, you know, Congress, the White House, the Pentagon again. At this point, nobody knew where this plane was going. And George Bush had to make what was probably one of the the hardest calls a president has had to make. I'm not going to say the hardest, but definitely one of the harder calls. And he had to scramble the U.S. Air Force fighter jets and tell them that when you encounter this plane, you have to blow it up. And that's what happens in this first episode, that the president has to make this call. And Adama, who's the military commander, feels that because it would require blowing up a civilian ship full of civilians that they know this is the one that is the reason the Cylons are following them is because there's an undercover Cylon and they discover it by sending people to different locations and where the Cylons show up, they can now narrow it down to, okay, we know it's part of this 10 ships. And so they figure out which one it's, which one it is. And Adama is smart enough to realize that as the military commander, I cannot just authorize the blowing up of the civilian ship to save the rest of us. And that's where this decision sucks. To save the other 50,000 people, you have to destroy a ship that has like 400 people on it, whatever the number is. That, that yeah. part is irrelevant. Yeah. But to save the other 50, this horrible decision has to be made. And Adama realizes that as the military commander, the president has to make, he's not the one that makes that call. It's the president. And so the call is made and they stop getting immediately tracked like that. And that's how, you know, so the miniseries I think is four episodes. So at that point it's what, four and a half hours and then another 45 minutes of the first episode. So the first six hours of this show it's just like one horrible thing going on after the other. Yeah. And uh, of course, through the course of the show, various aspects of it change. Uh, after, I want to say season two, there was a writer's strike and then the writer's strike ends. And then there was like a, a stage hand, stage craft, whatever that proper term is, strike that happened again. And then there was sort of budgetary issues. And so season three, the story sort of changed up completely because they were on a planet that was sort of occupied. And then it's sort of what happens. It puts things through the viewpoint of being sort of a terrorist against the powers that be. Um, it also has uh, in it what after... Uh, I watched a YouTube channel called Space Doc, which is a really cool YouTube channel. And the guy goes into uh, Battlestar Galactica because it's one of his favorite shows. 
in I realized that at the end of that season, they made what was a massive, massive military mistake. I'm not going to go into it, but it was a massive mistake. There was a sacrifice that was made and it should have been a different sacrifice that was made that would have made it better for them long-term. And then season four went back sort of into space. And then season five rolled around. It was a shorter season, but there were a lot of aspects to how it ended that a lot of people did not like. I get it. I was personally okay with how it ended. Um, through the course of the series, you discover that the 13th colony, bad things had happened, and they are still nomadic looking for a place to go. And they do, in fact, find a planet. But because of everything that happened, they're like, yeah, hey, let's just call it this. But I know I understand why they ended it the way they did. I also understand why people were upset with the way that it ended. But at I, the same time, it was difficult because there was so much stuff to wrap up. Yes. I I personally liked the way it ended. I, I like, like, yeah, there's a lot to wrap up and you can't really cover it all uh, unless you have like a two and a half hour final episode. Um, yeah. I, I'm also a big fan of like uh, finality um, where, it, you know, it ends and there's not really any continuation possible. And then I also like it whenever there is continuation possible and it's just dropped. Yeah, they definitely built the story up so that it there was definitely an end point that was a strong conclusion. But at the same time, there was just a crack in the window where there could have been a yeah. second part of that story and a lot of the themes that are covered are sort of similar to how the original star trek was in that it would sort of take these deep subjects and you didn't necessarily realize that it was talking about what it was talking about in the better episodes some of the star trek's ep episodes it was blatantly obvious what they were doing um, but Battlestar Galactica is really crafted in a way that has what was going on at the time, but it didn't make light of it. It was incredibly serious, and it was just reimaged in a way that took place in space. And the other cool thing about this that I don't ever think gets enough sort of credit is I think one of the reasons that the military structure side of how Galactica operated worked so well is because ronald d moore is a navy veteran oh yeah that definitely helps and so because he he came into it having an understanding of military um maybe not military you know the full scope but once you've been in the military you understand how the military works and how things are and how people act and i definitely think that showed in the writing yeah. And it had excellent special effects. They still hold up pretty well for now. And it has one of my biggest likes about space special effects because in space, vehicles don't move like they do in air. If you're in space and you want to turn left, you have a little jet on your right side that shoots out that makes the front of the ship turn left. If you want to go right, the opposite effect happens. And, you know, but not only that, if you want to go left, 
on the right hand side at the front a little jet shoots out but on the left hand side at the back a little jet shoots out and it shoots that and that's what gets it going to where you need to go and that is something that all of the fighters aircraft and everything maintain in that show and plus the re-imaged galactica just looks like a fucking beast there's a reason they referred to that model as the alligator that thing is just a beast and when they start using the ftl drives and they're like you know we haven't really done this in 30 years is it even gonna work (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) and it's so that was fantastic and then they did a prequel uh caprica and it was only one season long but it is an excellent season i highly recommend that because it completely sets up you know, what happened 75 years in the future. And then there was also basically like a web series called Battlestar Galactica Blood and Chrome. And there's like 15 or 20 of those. Um, Those aren't nearly as good, but it was a web series. So what are you going to do? It's kind of expected. But anyway, I I love that show. It's an excellent show. I went, I probably went from roughly 2000 and... 10 through 2014 where i watched the entire thing every year it was it, like a yearly thing for me we, we we did that uh together we'd we'd watch that and then we also had our uh uh our star wars weekend and our yep. lord of the rings weekend yep we did uh, as a matter of fact i think it was 2011 yeah there was that giant blizzard that came through oklahoma yeah we didn't go to work everything was shut down for a week um, normally in Oklahoma, even if you get a foot of snow, it's all melted in two days. Well, this time it was just cold enough that the foot and a half of snow we got stayed for a solid week. And so there was no work, no school, nothing. And that's what Duncan and I did for that entire time yeah. was we marathon Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember it. Uh, it. It was an excellent time because it was we'd, we'd like wake up, you know, uh, like we'd have breakfast and everything, and then we'd watch Battlestar Galactica. Then we'd have lunch and watch Battlestar Galactica. Then we'd have dinner <laughs> and watch it till like ten o'clock at night, and then yeah. get up in the morning because we knew there was nothing the next day and repeat. But yeah, that was a fun time. It it if you want to go and watch serious topics that are hidden in a space happening thing, it, excellent. Um, it's well worth it. Yeah. Uh, for for me, I I have a very difficult time like um, getting attached to characters. Right. Um, I'm so I I distinctly remember uh, whenever we watched it, I would get attached to characters. Right. Um, so if that's anything to say uh, on the writing, because uh, yeah, I I can watch something and I I don't care, you know. Um, right. But yeah, that that show every every character they they write them so well. You know how whenever you watch uh, some some shows or something outside of the trope that the character is, there's not a character there, right? Um, in Battlestar Galactica, that is not a thing. Uh, the the characters are living, they're breathing, uh, and actual people instead of just whatever trope they are. Yeah, yeah, for sure, definitely for sure. Um, one of the uh, the cool things is the actor that played Apollo in the original Battlestar Galactica, 
uh, ends up playing a pretty important character for the rest of the show. Uh, not the, obviously not the character he played in the first one. That was by a different actor. And one of the things they did, Edward James almost plays Commander Adama, later Admiral Adama, uh, and his son is the character Apollo. And the actor that played Apollo, Jamie Bamber, has blue eyes. And Edward James almost the entire show wore blue contact lenses so that the color of his eyes would be the same as uh, the actor that was playing his son. So there would be sort of this uh, connection between the two of them. And I thought that was kind of a a cool little detail that they did. Yeah, that is a great detail. And the other thing the re-image Battlestar Galactica did, in the first one, the character either had their rank last name, Commander Adama, or their call sign. Apollo, Starbuck. You never knew their actual names. And in the re-imaged one, they gave everybody their name. In the original one, it was just Colonel Ty. In the re-imaged, it was Colonel Saul Ty. And that was something that they did that just added just that little bit more to the to the show. And, so yeah, and, if you yeah. Go ahead. Uh I again just the attention to detail to the show. Like you mentioned, having thrusters on all axis is super important it, you know uh and since they are going for a pretty serious uh show the fact that they went into that level of detail uh should really just tell you like it, it's worth watching it's excellent mm-hmm. yeah uh, another detail i like is that uh, rather than lasers they use bullets yeah um and- which i thought was kind of a cool uh, route to go and i i remember they if i recall correctly they never really um do long distance shooting because it's more or less impossible it depends on i guess your definition of long distance shooting so um they're not like a station at pluto shooting to mars but they are within well they're they yeah a mile yeah they never shoot past like you know, a couple miles, right? which in space is nothing. It's still a lot if you actually get into the math of it because all the propagation changes for your rounds and it it's a lot. But, you know, for ship-on-ship combat, it's not like you would think with like naval combat because you, with naval combat, the distance isn't as extreme. You know, if like take Star Wars, for example, right? whenever they're shooting at each other, it's like several hundred miles plus. Sometimes. It depends, but... They are not several hundred miles apart at the Battle of Coruscant, the Battle of Endor, the Battle of Scarif. Well, you you get what I mean, though. With a lot of, like, uh, space uh, shows, they'll have them shooting, and, you know, they're like a thousand miles apart. Um, you, You can't do that. Right. And that's why they use lasers because lasers know. move faster than bullets. Right. Yeah. But yeah. I, I love that they use ballistic weapons in it. Yeah, I did too. I did too. Uh, I definitely give Battlestar Galactica a 9.6 stars out of 10 stars. And some of that is only because. There are some things that were in the miniseries that they just completely abandoned for the series, which is fine. 
And uh, the the last season does have a few things that I probably could have used a couple more episodes. It might have been a bit rushed, uh, but otherwise, you know, still that's that's a hell of a, a hell of a rating. Yeah, you know, I I think I would agree with your rating. So, yeah. All right, now Dunk, we're gonna throw the ball to you. What, uh, what, what's the TV show that you would like to discuss? Yeah. Uh, so unintentionally keeping within the space theme here, um, I will be talking about the 2003 Star Wars: The Clone Wars. Uh, so Ginny so Tarkadian with that's the minis that each one is like a three four minute episode long one that that's the, the i just want to clarify for the audience yeah yeah the, the gennady uh tartakoskvi right however you say his name the same guy who uh who did uh samurai jack yes uh that yeah that one where all the episodes are like 10 minutes if that um, yeah if that uh so one of the cool things about it uh and i remember this because we watched it together uh, in between um, the Clone Wars and Revenge of the Sith, they had released this along with the movie. Right. Um, and so it, I think I like it more than the 3D one, uh, mm-hmm. whether that be nostalgia or what, but it, it pieces in perfectly. You know, it, it's very short. It fits that timeline um, to sort of explain that gap. Um, and I really like, so it is a different take on Star Wars because it's less of the, you know, sci-fi opera sort of that Star Wars is. Uh, right. That, that's kind of what Star Wars is. You it's know? pretty much pure. It's more military. It's almost like a military film or a war. It, it really is. Um, so, and I think uh, getting uh, Gennady, whatever, uh, to do it is it was an excellent choice because if you guys have seen like Samurai Jack, you know, there's not a lot of dialogue. Um, right. And considering, yeah, it is kind of a military thing because it's the Clone Wars. Right. They're, it, they're at war. It is a show about war. And yes. It's Star Wars, but that's what it is. So in a lot of the episodes, um, in fact, I'll, I'll use the one. So if you remember the character, uh, a what is it? Ace Ventress? Is that her name? Aj Ventress. Aj Ventress. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It explains how she comes around. That particular series of Clone Wars is this weird mix of kind of canon, but kind of not canon. It, it introduces Aj Ventress. It introduces General Grievous. It explains General Grievous's cough in Revenge of the Sith. As a matter of fact, it ends about... 45 minutes before revenge of the sith begins yeah um and yeah i i consider it canon um i know the 3d one sort of took its place uh but i consider it canon just because it it's kind of a movie in between those considering the series and the movie it's kind of an in-between movie and since it is a you know it's all about war the entire time um, the lack of dialogue is excellent. And the example that I'll use is uh, whenever Aj Ventress and uh, Anakin fight. Uh, spoilers, they fight. With lightsabers. With lightsabers. Imagine that. So I, I watched the entire episode 
uh, and it's a beautiful episode and very excellently done uh, the whole series is uh, very very good um including the like screams of the clone troopers when they die and their commands and stuff there's 25 lines of dialogue including those there's there's 25 lines of dialogue for the 10 minute episode and i love it because it sort of uh works on the fact because you know you watch shows and a lot of them rely on dialogue to explain things um right and it relies on showing you and that you'll get the picture which i love uh because it's it's uh i feel like it uh promotes like active watching instead of just a more passive where you know you listen to the dialogue right, right. um and it relies on the art of of it all to explain and show everything and it it's really good right yeah no you're right yeah i agree with you um i i occasionally fire those up and watch them because they were also short some of them were like three minutes some of them were 10 minutes it was sort of an odd thing to do at the time and yeah I want to say it was two, like two seasons of it, sort of. And when you put them all together, it basically ends up being uh, like an hour-long movie, uh, really, uh, with with just not a whole lot of dialogue to it. And there are some really uh, pretty cool things to it. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I looked it up on the Wikipedia page. Uh, season one and two. Uh, the episodes had a runtime of three to five minutes. And then okay. season three, and it stopped on three, uh, was 12 to 15 minutes. And there were 25 episodes. Okay. So, yeah, not, right. not, yeah. Much, not much there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I will say, though, while we're talking Clone Wars, I really did do enjoy the, uh, the 3D, the second Clone Wars series that came out. I believe it started in 07. Um. James Arnold Taylor, who voices Obi-Wan Kenobi, does an excellent job. Um, Matt Lautner, that voices Anakin, does an excellent job. It really fills in a lot of the gaps between Clone Wars and Revenge of the Sith. And the fact that they ended up getting, uh, really, there's the seventh season, which is considered the final. But in all honesty, it's, it's really six and a half because it got disney bottom and they just stopped with whatever they had of season six and they didn't finish producing the cartoon and then season seven came out a year and a half ago um the character so the first season the writing is not quite as strong as later uh dave filoni who was the head writer and show uh, runner um he was basically george lucas's apprentice but in that first season, it was his first time being the head writer, the showrunner, you know, making sure the animation and all of that was was done. And that's kind of a big task for something that you've never done before. Yeah. But everything that happened, George Lucas knew about and was in on. In in all honesty, the character of Ahsoka Tano has perhaps one of the best story arc slash developments of a character in fiction when the clone wars movie came out initially they took what was the first three or four episodes and made it into a movie that was released in theaters people hated ahsoka they 
hated that character. They hated her. Season two, people started to like her. By the end of, before it got canceled by Disney, her character was probably every bit as beloved as Obi-Wan and Anakin was. Yeah, And then when season, season seven came out, which sort of wrapped everything up and season seven, as a matter of fact, there are parts of season, season seven that is the continuation of events that are in Revenge of the Sith. There's that example where they're having the big war meeting with all of the generals and all those people are in 3Ds. Ahsoka's on the other side of their conference thing that's going on. Um it's both ahead of, concurrent, and right after, uh, especially the last four or five episodes. And the character of Ahsoka is beloved. And at the end of that show, you're, you're, you're just like, you feel so bad for her. It's so horrible. And then, of course, when they bring her back in Rebels and uh, Ahsoka has her duel with Vader, that until this season of Obi-Wan was probably the most emotional duel with Vader in terms of emotions. Now, in Revenge of the Sith, obviously, his duel with Obi-Wan is also very emotional. But it's a different type of situation than when Ahsoka fights him in, the, in Rebels. Yeah. And, you know, for a cartoon, you're just like, God damn, this hit hard. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, uh, this, this season of... Obi-Wan, you know, season six, or the, sorry, not season six, episode six. If you didn't get misty-eyed watching that, you don't. So I haven't watched it yet. Um, But you need to. Yeah, I do. You need to. I I was waiting until they finished. Oh, yeah, you need to. But anyway, just on that simple aside, uh, Ahsoka Tano went from being so annoying to she has become such a fan favorite that she has her own live action series coming out uh, next year. And uh, she's played in live action by Rosario Dawson, which is cool because she's a great actress, but she was also fan cast. Uh, There were some people that just sort of noticed that she kind of bore a resemblance to Ahsoka and People started photoshopping her to look like Ahsoka Tano, and then some people contact or sent it to Rosario Dawson, and she's like, "Hell yeah, I'm down for that." And then it got <laughs> to the Lucasfilm, and they were like, oh, "These fans are onto something." <laughs> and so uh, that was cool. And then another cool thing, also on the Clone Wars, while we're on the subject, there's a character called Bo-Katan Kreese, and they wanted, um, and this ties into Battlestar Galactica. They wanted Katie Sackhoff to voice the character. And so they asked, you know, they negotiations, how all that crap works. And they're like, yeah, we want you to voice the character. She's like, okay. And then they're like, well, can we make her look like you? She was like, yeah, sure. (laughs) So they make, so they make the character, you know, look like her. And keep in mind, this is pre Disney star Wars. So what happens in season two of Mandalorian, they decide they're going to take Bo-Katan from cartoon to live action and uh they immediately without hesitation called katie sackoff and katie sackoff was like hell yeah and so (laughs) she is played by katie sackoff in the cartoon and in live action 
So it's got to be a rare, rare case of the same person voicing in two different mediums. But had they decided they didn't want to make her look like Katie Sackhoff, they wouldn't have been able to have done that. So that was a strange bit of luck that happened in, you know, 2009 or whatever it was. They just that's happened really to funny. luck out. Yeah, that they that's who they decided to go with. So, but uh, uh, I didn't mean to steal your thunder on. No, no, it's okay. Uh, I think they do tie in. Good point. Uh, so. I, I think they both do an excellent job of filling the gap in different ways. Right. Um, so the 2003 one, the 2D, does an excellent job of conveying the war and how it is a war. Right. And it is unpleasant. Uh, also, it makes Mace Windu an absolute badass. Uh, yes, yes, cool it does. Yeah. And yeah. General Grievous is scary. Yes. You you see him and you're like, holy shit. Yes. Oh God. <laughs> um, so I, I think they both do an excellent job of that that gap in different ways. Yeah. Um, because to be honest, there's not too much character building outside of you know it being a war and showing the uh, Obi-Wan and all the Jedi's being hardened. Outside of that, it doesn't do yeah. a lot of character building. Right. And the 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 3d one has a ton of character building. yeah it, it definitely focuses on that and it does an excellent job of it yeah um, it's, so, it's definitely a great addendum if you want to see how anakin in revenge of the sith turned to the dark side as easily as he did you almost need to go and watch all seven seasons of clone wars and yeah. the the 2d one as well because it ex- it does an excellent job of filling in the wise and yeah. the toll it took on people uh, I think that's why the 2D one is good is because it it expresses how he could turn to the dark side just due to the brutality of war. Yeah. Uh, which makes a ton of sense, you know? Um, yeah. That's a traumatizing thing. And if somebody turns to the dark side from it, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think they both do an excellent job just in different ways. Yeah, they're just two different ways of telling a story that's part of a greater sum. Yeah, and honestly, probably the pilot episode of the 3D had equivalent, if not more, dialogue than all three seasons of it. <laughs> yeah, it probably <laughs> did. It probably did. And it also introduces why Obi-Wan was known as the negotiator. Yeah. Ah, the negotiator, General Kenobi. Ah, yes. Um, but yeah, that, that's about all I have to say on it otherwise you know we'll sit here talking about right uh, star wars forever which uh, yes i'd love um, but no, <laughs> we actually uh I'll, I'll talk to you about that in a sec <laughs> so <laughs> anyway um i'm gonna go ahead we've kind of reached the end point here of time for the episode so duck i appreciate you coming on yeah thanks for having me it was super fun I, I appreciate you putting a little knowledge, uh, truth into actual knowledge about space, because if you've listened to this show for any length of time, you know that Duncan is actually in the space field. He is not an astronaut, but he knows a very large chunk about space and how things move in space and get to space it's and true. things they do in space. Um, uh, also, I, I recommend people look up 
basic orbital dynamics because it's actually really cool. Yes. Or orbits yes. are rad as fuck. Right. <laughs> and you, yes, that is precisely what somebody in the space industry is supposed to say. <laughs> That's part of your contracts. <laughs> I'm being honest. Uh, that frequent it's it's all just really really cool. We we should do some episodes where we just talk about like uh, specific facets of space. I think that'd be fun. Yeah, if you uh, didn't notice based on the topic of this particular episode, Duncan may be a nerd. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sadly, I think uh, you know that's that's finally come out. <laughs> right, right. And with that, I'm going to wrap her up, folks. Appreciate you listening. We'll talk to you uh, next month in October. Appreciate everybody tuning in. Duncan, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, of course. It was it was nice watching your kitten Magnus attack crap behind you that you didn't know was going on. Oh, I, I was looking. <laughs> and uh, with that, everybody, I am going to say goodbye. And as always, remember, try to live your life in a way that would make Bob Ross proud. Bye. Thank you for listening to Musings of an ADD Mind. If you enjoyed this podcast, or even if you didn't, please hit the subscribe or follow button. This podcast is a production of Hyper Focused Media.